The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. This episode is brought to you by TweakedAudio.com. Get headphones, earbuds, and accessories from TweakedAudio.com. Just enter the discount code CAFCOMICS, that's all one word at the checkout. You'll get 33% off your entire order, free worldwide shipping, and a limited lifetime warranty on everything you buy. That's TweakedAudio.com. And now... It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts, John and Steven. Thank you, it's Caffeinated Comics. I'm your host, John Clark. With me is mostly always is my co-host, Stephen Brown. And we're recording this on St. Patrick's Day, which happy. is uh, why my voice is like this. Yeah, happy St. Patrick's Day, John. <laughs> I'm in the middle of a marathon of shows, and they were actually going to be my last U2 shows because I'm getting, in the words of Danny Glover, I'm getting I get too old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. But we're play- we played uh, Friday night for three hours. We played last night for three hours. We're playing tonight for three hours. I will see if I get through it. Yeah. Hey, is this um, normal for St. Patrick's Day? You guys do three shows? Yeah, we've done this. Oh, the first year I did it, we did Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Ugh. and Saturday night. Ugh. Like I sang for 12 hours. In- I sang for nine hours in a 24-hour period. Yeah. And That's I couldn't good. talk after, like, the next week at work, I was making hand signals. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's been a fun run. It's It's been this, it's been a weird calling card, because I posted on Facebook, um, not on the show page, because our show's not about uh, Bono. being a Bono impersonator. Yeah. Um, but I posted on my Facebook, and it was, like... And people came out left and right, like, oh, that's huge. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's just something I was doing on the side. But right. Did it for a while. Um, but it leaves me more time for this. Yeah. Which, <laughs> and you'll be less wrecked while we're trying to do this. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. One would hope. One I, would I hope. don't even drink at those shows because the because it, my voice will, I'll lose my voice Basically, if I if my throat gets dried out at all, yeah, with this kind of singing, so I can't even have like one Guinness. Yeah, that's wild. And I'm, it sucks because I'm in like a Irish bar, right, for four hours, and people are buying free drinks that I'm just putting behind my amp, pretending I have them. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely cancer. I really thought I would have been thinner from doing this because I'm not drinking, not eating, running around in a black leather jacket, sweating. Yeah, uh, and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> You just hit like an equilibrium, maybe you know. Yeah, yeah, mate, yeah. I guess so. I guess I just hit like forty six. Yeah, which uh, I'm not even going to be forty six for long. Uh, so we're, uh, but comic wise, we're at a little bit of a lull. Captain Marvel has just come out. Um, by the time you hear the C two E two will be over, but right now we're waiting for C two E two. Yeah. Uh, this is the first year that you and I are going in no official capacity. Yeah, that's uh, right. The 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 store is done and not having a booth and well I, maybe we don't know uh well you're just going to... i have nothing to do with it so it's uh yeah it's the first time since the store opened that i'll be going to c2e2 just as like a spectator person yeah um which it's... is kind of nice because then i i uh i do not like having to set up well i do not like having to pay for tickets and, tear down. and i was yeah. um 
96 uh, was the, no, not uh, 95, I think. 95 was when we started, when I started working on my first comic. And, uh, which was uh, Horseman by Kevlar Comics. We, we only did about four issues, but Hank Kwan, who owned Bulletproof Comics, was running it. So uh, he combined the book with his retail booth. So then before I published my first book, I was getting free passes to go to conventions because I would run the booth. And I didn't really have to sell retail. I just kind of sold our book. And then I was like, well, this is great. I'm a comics professional. I will never pay for a convention again. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I'd been pretty good about it because I did that for a while. And then I did another book for a little while. And then I worked for Art Asylum. And that uh, that got me into places. And uh, there were a couple of years at New York. I just... uh, grabbed one of my friends by the arm and went, take me in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like a, a lot of guys that were in Artist Alley. And then uh, when the New York Comic Con, uh, I went to San Diego uh, writing for figures.com and they, di- they didn't pay me anything but a hotel room, but I got to go yeah, for that's free. Big stuff. Um, and then when uh, New York Comic Con at C2E2 started, uh, Lance Fensterman, who runs it, went to college with my friend. And he was like, hey, this is my friend Lance. Uh, let's all help him out. Yeah. And we wrote blogs for the website and we uh, we did stand-up shows and Lance always let us in. And then, of course, Reed became this just gigantic machine. You know? Yeah. It's, it's just enormous now. Like, you don't just run into Lance on the floor and say hi anymore. Right. That like, guy's it's super just, busy. It's just too big. Um and so this year I bought tickets and I was just like, oh, nah. is this, is this a failure? <laughs> yeah. It's a uh, ticket. It's expensive to go. It's very frustrating. Um, well, I let, I didn't go the last couple of years. It's gotten yeah. so big. It's like the third biggest yeah. convention. I think Emerald city is really, really big too, but it's, um, I think it's the third biggest convention. So it's like the foot traffic becomes an issue and I get, I get claustrophobic with like big, big crowds. And that's yeah. one of the things I don't like. One of the things I loved about having a booth was somewhere you, to hide. Yeah, you had space. You could drop your bag off. Yeah. And you could back up from the crowd a little bit. Like right. You weren't lost in it. So the last couple of years, I've been like, uh, all right, I'm not going to go. Yeah. It's, um, they're fun shows. I think it's something where it's like, I don't know if I need to go three days anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like if I don't, don't need to a, go to any show three days anymore. Yeah, it's like I think it's like I'll go maybe once, uh, maybe two days. Try to link up with people that'll be there. And why well, don't like go on Saturday anymore? I mean, a lot yeah, of Saturdays pe- crazy. A lot of people go for the reason I, I don't want to go, which is like people love the excitement and all the people, yeah, and all this stuff happening. And it's like it's just kind of overload for me. Like I want, I like to go when it's just a little calmer. And it's always this arc where it's. Um, Friday is the most motivated people, so there's less people, but there's an intensity about Friday. Yeah. Where there's guys like, I'm coming to do this and this and this and this. You know, there's a lot of people coming to buy on Fridays. And then Saturday is just a huge day where every single person is, like, overwhelmed. Like, Mark Hamill is overwhelmed on a Saturday yeah. in a show like this. And then Sunday feels like the morning after. Like, where it is, it's, there's this, like, hangover on a Sunday. Yeah, not only that, it's also Some like... Some people are uh, literally hung over on Yeah, a I, most people are. Um, it's also like the sale day, so it has like a Walmart feel of like, everyone's trying to sell as much as they can so they don't have to bring all this shit back with them. Right. And it's just like, uh, but it's like a good, frenzy. Yeah, the good, good stuff is gone because the good, good stuff sells on Friday. 
Yeah. Like one year you had an amazing Fantasy 15 and it sold. It sold before the uh, the show opened. We sold it Thursday night. Yeah, that wouldn't hang around till Sunday. Right. Like somebody would have come and bought it. So Sunday, if you're not too particular about what you want to get, uh, if you're just like trying to fill holes or just kind of uh, go casual shopping, Sunday's a great day to go. It's also the family day, so uh, I'll take the boys and there's a lot of... Um, there's some really fun stuff this year. And again, this is probably... The show may, by the time this airs, the show may have happened, but like Matt Smith and David Tennant are doing panel together on Sunday. That's cool. Um, there's going to be a live reading of Animaniacs with the whole voice cast, including Maurice LaMarche, which means there will be Pinky and the Brain happening. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of big for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're doing that new season on Hulu. Are you going to go check that out? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. As long as we can get in. I mean, you know, this show gets so busy now. Yeah. That uh, sometimes you, you can't get in. Um but that's the, the one of the fun things about a convention is sometimes you run into people, you can't get into their panel. And I told the story about Anthony Daniels several times that I couldn't get into his panel. And then I bumped into him outside and talked to him for like 10 minutes. Yeah. Because I, I worked on an ad campaign that he worked on. Um, so he was like, it wasn't just a fan thing. But I was going to go to the panel and introduce myself and couldn't get in. Yeah. So you never know. Um, so I, I tend to play conventions fairly loose. Yeah, I rarely even look at like the programming. <laughs> I think maybe See, when I get that, there, I like look at the programming. I'm like, oh yeah, what? Because it's like I was so tied to the booth every year, yeah. I wasn't able to look and go to panels. And I think last year I went to a Marvel panel to see what like was coming out, and I was like, oh cool. I think that's when they announced Jason Aaron was on Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that was two years ago. I don't know when that was, but I, that could also been during like the retailer day on Thursday. You know what I mean? I might've right. been there and gone to like a retailer preview panel. No, this would be a good year for you to put panels first. Cause number one, right. uh, you're not, you're not going to spend a lot of money. I don't have any money. To spend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's I, I been a rough wanna, week. Didn't want to insult you. <laughs> no, no, it's not, it's not insulting. It's a, it's an economic fact. So you're not going to spend a lot of time at the dealers. Right. Um, neither you nor I are big autograph guys. We're not yeah. big signing guys. There's guys like Marco Garcia, who's on our show. Like he'll do the the pictures with everybody. Yeah, and I'm not that guy. I'm not entirely enthralled with my own face. Yeah, <laughs> and, that, and I feel like that situation is so fast. Yeah, that it's, it's like, always kind of it's so brief. You can't really have like a like a connection with folks. I like what I like to do. I do like meeting the guys. Mm-hmm. And me and my buddy Ken talk about this all the time is uh, last year we we walk around and uh, we saw Alan Davis and we're like, ah, and, you know, we didn't walk up to him. And now we're both kicking ourselves because it's like he's not there. Yeah. And it's like we both love that dude. He's like probably one of the most underrated artists in comics. But he then like really great. I've had experiences of like walking around with a buddy of mine and he um, he doesn't read um, comic. He reads some comics, but not a lot. But he really likes X-Men. So he's read like Dark Phoenix, Days of Future Past, like all this Chris Claremont stuff. And we were walking down the Artist Alley and uh, he, I'm like, oh, dude, that's Chris Claremont sitting right there. He's like, what? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, the guy that wrote X-Men? I'm like, yeah. And he, he's just like sitting there. It's not like a million people around him or whatever. And that's kind of nice to just be able to get in front of him, maybe buy a print, maybe have him sign it and say, hey, thanks for everything. Like, Yeah, and you, you, can, wrote- have, you can have a conversation if they're yeah. not mobbed. Uh, and I don't want to bother f- folks or be bo- be around them for so long, but we did the same thing. We saw Peter David a couple years, and it's like, oh, dude, like X Factor and Madrox were some of my favorite books from the last I 10 love years. His Hulk run. 
and I've yeah, I've read like Future Imperfect, but never the rest of his run. And it's, it's like it's just very long. Yeah, <laughs> it's just cool to meet guys like that. Or you see George Perez, and it's like, oh man, like <laughs> I used to hate your art, but you are one of my favorite artists now. <laughs> I met uh, Neil Adams at the first New York Comic Con, like that, yeah, because he has uh, he's always there. Well, he has the con he has Continuity Studios, which is the company he owns, right. but. People, uh, a lot of people don't know what it is, uh -huh. so they see the banner and they walk on by, and Neil Adams is just sitting there, and people yeah. that would go nuts, knowing that the guy who drew like these classic X-Men and Batman and Green Lantern, Green Arrow runs is just sitting in front of him, and uh, so in the first year, and then I ran over to uh, my friend who's a real retailer, Gus, who runs Silver Age Comics, and I'm like, yeah. oh, do you have the new hardcover of Neil Adams' Batman? And he sold it to me, and then I just got it signed, and I talked to him for like five, ten minutes. Yeah. That's a fun thing, and it's it's a little hard for me because I'm kind of introverted. Um, yeah. I can usually – people people don't believe that about me, but I'm very hard at starting a conversation. It's very difficult for me because I'm constantly like, well, what's the right thing to say? Should I say that? Should I say that? If somebody says anything to me. You can run. With I can it. just keep talking to them. Yeah. But for me to go up and introduce myself is the toughest thing for me to get through. Yeah. So there have been, there have been guys where I have frozen up in front of. Um. I told. I, I'm sure I've told the story about. It. I met Jenny Groffalo once and just froze. Yeah. yeah. And just kind of turned away from her, um. Even though all my friends were there and she was just talking with all my friends. Um, I have clammed up a couple of times and I've been shamed into talking to people. I met Mark Marin because, uh, my friend's girlfriend called me a pussy. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, there's Mark Marin up there. She's like, say hi. I'm like, I can't say hi. She's like, you're a pussy. And then I did. And I talked to him and he was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but you're always like, if it doesn't go well, you carry that. And I, I don't want to name names, but I have met creators yeah. and celebrities where I've been like, Oh, I feel worse now. Yeah, I had that. Uh, one of our first C2E2s, we met one of the professionals <laughs> working, and uh, it did not go well. And it was just like, oh, okay, I'll just, you know, <laughs> try not to think of, hole, yeah. think of you like this now, <laughs> person whose comics I read. But it's hard. It's like I don't, I don't blame the people that are the celebrities because it has to be awkward for you for people to come up to you that are intimately familiar with your work and you have no idea who they are and what they do or there's a lot of weirdos out there you well, know let's put it this way when you owned the store think of the range of people that walked in the store and yeah. talked to you there were people you know there was it was the gamut of like alex ross walking in which right. happened uh I walked in and met you. Yeah. And then a lot, lot of people. weirdos. Yeah. And it's like a lot so, of my like very dear, very close, very best friends I met through working in comic book stores. But I've also the the, num the amount of weirdos and psycho people <laughs> I have also met that I've never seen again, thankfully. It's a long list. Right. So think so think of if people identify you. Now they're identifying your place of business. Yeah. But I probably half of them don't remember who you are or knew your name. Like, you extrapolate that by, like... Oh, I can't imagine. If, if it was, like, people, like, there's Stephen Brown. Yeah. Like, your, well, guard, I don't even, your like, guard's got to be up a little bit. It is. I don't even like walking... When we had the store open, I, I disliked walking down the streets of LaGrange on a day I wasn't at the store, because it's, like, all these people that wander into the store on a weekly basis, and it's like, oh, there's the guy from the comic book store. It's like, God damn it. Just, like, <laughs> let me go to another town. Yeah, well, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I am looking forward to this show. Like I haven't looked forward to it in a while and uh, I've been kind of wiped. And that's the other thing. I, these big conventions, 
they wear you out. So if you're not yeah. having, if you're not having an amazing time, like the first, uh, the first, I think it was the second year of C2E2 was the first year you had the booth. That was one of the best conventions I've ever been to in my life. That was yeah, like that better was a great show. than San Diego, just because so many good things happened. We came up with the idea for this podcast. That was the year I met Anthony Daniels. That was the year you sold Amazing Fantasy 15. Yeah, it was a crazy um, year. The booth was in a really great spot, so you guys did a lot of business. Yeah, because we I ran weren't it. with the other retailers. We were like really close to the entrance, so we yeah. were one of the first retailers you see. That was like probably the best booth space we ever had. It was a good year for running into people. Like I ran into people that I knew in New York that I didn't even know were in town. It was yeah. a great year. But then the next year like doesn't live up to that, and you're like, mm. and that's kind of – it's almost like collecting in that way. I was just um, – I was thinking about this because I'm, st- I'm still reading a bunch of 90s X-Men. And uh, last week it was really fun. And this last couple of days, it's been a chore. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. I'm reading stories that aren't particularly as good. It's not a, uh, I'm just kind of reading a run. So it's not, it's not a major story. It's not like I can say the Phalanx Covenant is a piece of shit. I was just reading like some X-Men and Uncanny. I yeah. read some Unlimiteds and some annuals. And I was just like, it was a drag. And I was like, Wait, why? Why am I reading this again? I'm like, oh, because I I wanted to recapture that fun, exciting feeling that I got from like Fatal Attractions and Executioner Song, which were dumb. Yeah, but there was a lot of energy. And then I'm reading these issues, these like in between issues, where it's just like carrying the legacy virus subplot and Sabretooth is in the mansion and Gambit and Rogue are arguing and Gene and Scott are buying a house. <laughs> yeah, it's like. And and everybody's still leaping and screaming, yeah. even though they're like signing a mortgage. They're like, ah, mortgage, tempest <laughs> down. Uh, um, I'm reading that you know we've been talking about this. You know, the podcasts don't come out in the order we record them, so people may be listening every week. This is a little jarbled, but I've been reading this mutant massacre. Jarbled? Uh, is that a word? No, that's a garbled way of saying garbled. Oh, garbled. <laughs> you know what I meant. <clears throat> But I'm reading that thing in um, Mutant Massacre, right? And this is at the point where, like, Cyclops had a wife and a kid and then just, like, bailed on him. Yeah. And it's like, I'm reading this, and it's like every issue Cyclops is, like, whining about. He's like, she left me. And it's like, bro, you left your wife and your kid in Alaska. Oh, yeah, because in one issue, he came back in the house. She had She's moved. She's gone. <laughs> and he's all salty about it. And it's Stupid just like, Cyclops. man, what were they thinking making Cyclops such, like, a douchebag yeah. and it's like i love cyclops and they make him such a prick cyclops is the hank pym of x-men that's where a, he was that's like a cool hurtful he's judged no but he's judged by one incident yeah that they didn't think was going to be as upsetting to fans as, as it, it was. was yeah and like you could you could see going back in they were like well and i think we talked about x-factor before but the um it was Bob Layton who created it. Um, I, I actually kind of like Bob Layton. Oh, Bob Layton's great. Bob Layton's responsible for some of the best runs of Iron Man. Yeah. If you follow his Instagram or his Twitter, he posts a lot of commissions and a lot of original artwork. And his oh, stuff cool. is still gorgeous. Yeah. But uh, but Bob Layton came up with the idea of X Factor. Uh, Defenders wasn't selling. And Defenders had Beast, Iceman, and Angel. And Claremont had written out Cyclops. He was like, oh, Cyclops marries Madeline Pryor and, and he leaves the X-Men it. and he lives in Alaska. And I don't think Claremont had any plans to use him. Right. So he was like, hey, I got an idea. Defenders is ending. Instead of doing the Defenders, let's do the original X-Men again. And we'll put these four guys together who are not in the X-Men. And then we'll create a new girl character. 
and it'll be them. And then Jim Shooter, who was the guy who said kill Phoenix, yeah, because Claremont and Byrne were gonna uh, depower her and write her out of the book. And he was like, no, she's got to die. He's the one that went, no, bring Gene back so it's the original five. Yeah, and that made a mess out of everything. Um, yeah, and Gene didn't have she had um, telekinesis, but not telepathy. Yeah, they wanted to bring her back to the level she was in the Silver Age, and she didn't have telepathy in like the Stan Lee era, right? Because Professor X was right there. Yeah, so. And Professor X, I think, at this point is dead for one of the pre periods um, he was dead. No, he wasn't dead. He was in the Shi'ar Empire. Oh. Like, he almost died in 200... Man, the fact that I know this, I haven't read this in so long. Uh, he almost died in 200 and Lalandra showed up and she's like, she's like, Shi'ar medicine can heal him, but he'll never come back. And, and, and we're not going to share back. our medicine with the people of Earth. Uh, now we'll, we're, we're just gonna give it to this one dude. We will only share danger room technology yeah. that could potentially kill you. That's right. all we'll share. Yeah, and we'll upgrade your jet. Yeah. So he went. He had been, he was written out of the book for like years and years until like the Jim Lee era. But so X Factor, they were like, all right, fine. It's the original five X Men. And Bob Layton said in an interview, the biggest mistake in my career I ever made was thinking that I could do an X-Men book without the X-Men office getting involved because he got like, so obviously then the drama is like, well, Scott and Jean are this great love story. They're up there with like Reed and Sue or like Peter and Mary Jane. So, oh, she comes back, but he's not available. What's the dynamic going to be? Yeah. And then and they the would, dynamic was he's an absentee father. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, cause you know, if his wife and child moved with them to be an X factor. Yeah. And she looks exactly like Jean. I mean, that is just yep. weird. Yeah. The, so, so the thing was kind of like damaged to begin with. It yeah. was a good idea. And then Leighton said he got about six, seven issues in, and they were like, "The Mutant Massacre, you're going to cross over." And he's like, "What? Well, I'm, I'm not doing an X Men spinoff title. I was trying to do a book that sat by itself. Yeah, like Iron Man." And uh, then he quit. He quit, and then they got Louise Simonson, who was the editor of X-Men, to yeah. just basically turn X-Factor into another X-Men book. Right. And granted, there are runs that are great, you know, because then uh, Louise Simonson hired her husband to draw it, and they created the best X-Factor story ever, which is The Fall of the Mutants, where Angel becomes Archangel, yeah. which is a character design that stayed to this day. Yeah, I gotta tell you, man... Um... Walt Simonson is one of the best costume designers of all time. <laughs> it's like his designs are crazy, but they crazy. work. Crazy, like Bader. they're crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give you a, a perfect example of a crazy design: Manhunter. Oh yeah, in the seventies, he did a backup story in Detective. Yeah, he and Archie Goodwin did it. It was it ran like twelve issues of like eight pages each. They were like it's one story. We're in and out, and then the final issue was a full issue of Detectives. So it was like Batman runs into Manhunter and helps him finish the story. Yeah. But Manhunter's like supposed to be a commando who's bright red and white and has giant cable shoulder pads yeah. and like samurai swishy robes. Yeah. And he throws ninja stars and he has a gun. And it's fucking awesome. Yeah, Manhunter's People bananas. People still love it. Yeah, I well, he's probably not... Like, one of the greatest costume designers, but when he came up with a costume, he nailed it. Like, Archangel, that is bananas. So many thin lines yeah, running around on him. Yeah, so crazy, but it's perfect. And the funny thing was, after Walt Simonson did it, like, every other artist was like, okay, I'll do that, but now he's got a mullet. 
<laughs> yeah. Like the only change they made. And then for a while, they tried to put him in the 70s costume, which was really weird. Is that the red and white one? With the halo. Yeah, I kind of like that costume. Yeah, but it was weird with the metal wings and the blue face. I, I oh, like the yeah. original. It's good when it's in feathers. Within metal, it's like you're you're too like rock and roll now. <laughs> you yeah. can't wear a leotard when you're rock and roll. And sometimes it was red and sometimes it was blue, but it was the same design. Yeah, it was just like Angel was just like, I have a red suit and I have a blue suit. <laughs> It was like when Spider-Man wore the red and blue suit and the black suit. He just transitioned back and forth. On. There would yeah. be scenes in the 80s, because after he lost the symbiote, he, Black Cat sewed him a suit. Black Cat does not seem like a seamstress to me. No. <laughs> she's a, but she, I do like she's the a idea. slutty cat burglar. Yeah. I, didn't, I never, even when I was 11 and wasn't sexually aware, I'm like, I don't think that girl is sitting there with two knitting yeah, needles. I so. I'm like, here you go, Spider-Man. But those two, uh, I love those two characters teaming up and him in that, the the matching suits, you know, black and white. Yeah, it's but, like, yeah. it's a cool look. They did a lot um, recently. In fact, Black Cat's in it right now. I just read The Hunted across Oh, over. yeah. That's um, actually, uh, that book is doing exactly what I want it to do. It's real. I feel like Hunted is Nick Spencer- doing the big story like we've been waiting for it since he this started is it. like issue one was like okay you're setting the stage right and and we've had like 10 issues and i'm like hey i'm enjoying it but it hasn't blown me away and i think it's like i think this story's gonna blow me away i think so uh we're right on the cusp of it now if anyone's not reading it we'll give you a little synopsis you but should black, totally check it out but i love the way i think since brand new day the way they write the relationship between oh Peter yeah. and black cat where they're like they're they're an ex couple that hooks up a lot. Yeah. And they play that really real. And I'm like, I don't, I don't see this in comics. Yeah. I, th- and I, we, I think we've talked about this before. Maybe we were talking about a different writer, but Spencer's really good at these like little character moments mm-hmm. of okay, Tom King. We always say does this too, but Nick Spencer kind of figures out like a relationship that is kind of like obvious when you think about it. Yeah. And then he plays to that. And it's like, Oh yeah. Spider-Man and black cat are exes. And they, they haven't, like, broken up under... They didn't have, like, a great relationship. So no. it's always, like, rocky. And they never really had a... They never really had a stable, uh, claimed relationship. They yes. would just kind of hook up and not talk about it. Right. Which, you know, everybody's had that. Right. And it's kind of interesting to see them kind of play that out. There's, like... I think comic creators kind of forget that they're they have to like oh it's like he's dating Mary Jane so it's just like you know write it like he's just dating her and it's like but like everybody else that you come with baggage and you come with uh, exes and all this other stuff that you kind of have to like weave in and out of your own life and it's interesting when they kind of play that stuff up yeah and Nick Spencer's put Mary Jane back in the book uh, with Peter for the first time in like ten years. Yeah. And but he's still playing with that black cat dynamic. And it's not a cliche of like, oh, will Peter cheat on Mary Jane with Black Cat? Yeah. It's I don't think he's gonna awkward... cheat on her, but it it does make their relationship. It's it's their relationship, like I said, I've never seen it in comics where it's like it's the conversation where it's like, are we dating? It's like, oh, do you think we're dating? Well I don't want to put a label on it. Yeah. Like everybody's been in that. I've never seen that in a comic. It's always been like, read and sue. This is my girlfriend, and this is my wife. Yeah, it's a lot of unrequited love because that's what 13-year-old boys are like. like yeah. I really like that girl. <laughs> I can't talk to her. Almost every superhero is that. Yeah. Like Karen, that was the whole idea behind Karen Page. Mm-hmm. Or, um, Jane Foster and Thor. Or they're like super cool, like Wolverine. Well, yeah. Wolverine's both like, oh, I, I love that girl and I can't do anything. Um, I always hated that Wolverine Jean Grey. I'm like, you guys don't have anything in common. Yeah. You're just, you just like her to complicate the Cyclops story. Yeah. Uh, 
but or else they're like super cool. It's like, oh yeah, we have a past. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, nobody really plays that awkward gray area, and that's the awkward gray area that they botched completely in X Factor. Yeah, where eventually they had to make his wife a goblin queen. Yeah, and what and happened then to his kid? He's Cable. That's. So his that kid that he's talking about currently, that kid gets captured and gets sent to the future, and then Cyclops is just like, I had a kid once, and then I lost him. And then when Cable shows up, they're like, this is your kid? No. No. no that would be, uh, that would be, make more sense. Yeah, that's too, too simplistic. No, no. It, it, they did it in a very X-Men way. Yeah. Where the, the... They wrote the guy. Go- they made Madeline Pryor a Goblin Queen, who I- was like hooks up with Mister Sinister. Yeah, Mister Sinister is involved with demon and all the demons from New Mutants, like the Belasco demons. Okay, uh, the uh, the magic demons. Inferno's a fucking mess. I hate it. Uh, <laughs> people talk about it like it's one of the good ones. It ain't. Uh, it's got Mark Sylvester Yard, but he drew that book for a long time. You don't have to read that story. Yeah. And. So then they got rid of her. I think they killed her off. And then it was just like, oh, Cyclops has the baby. And Gene's kind of the mom because here's a redhead new mom. Maybe his, maybe, mom maybe his son won't notice. Yeah. He's so young. He's so young. Uh, it's so messed up. That happened. Um, yeah, well, Sebastian once called one of my friends from work new mom because I because I drove her to work and we dropped off Sebastian <laughs> at school. And the next day he said, where's new mom? Oh, my God. That so they great. do do that. Yeah. So then... So then, separately, Rob Liefeld introduces Cable. Yeah. So Cable's just a character in New just Mutants. doing his stuff. Which, if you read those early issues, like, none of his backstory is there. Like, he says in a panel, I built this bionic arm. Um, so there's no techno-organic virus. Does he have uh, telepathy? He has no powers. He runs around with a gun. He's just a guy with a gun. Guy with a gun. It's yeah. the 90s. You could be that. Uh, and then and then they did a story. Uh, it's actually really, it's probably the best Apocalypse story next to Archangel. Wolf Portacio draws the last X Factor story before they merge back into X Men for like Jim Lee X Men number one, that big issue. Yeah. And in that one, it's uh, Apocalypse and the Dark Riders um, attack X Factor, and it's like three issues long, and he infects the baby with the the Warlock virus, like the Warlock alien, the Techno Organic virus. And they say, well, the only place to to um, heal him is in the future. So we'll send him to the future and we'll never see him again. And that's really sad. It's like a Superman kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that was it. And they were just like, okay, now we can write the baby out of the book. And now Cyclops can just run around with Jean Grey and he doesn't have to be this father I figure. love that Cyclops wasn't like, they were like, we can save your baby if they have to send him to the future. And Cyclops like, all right, that's He's, fine. Oh, just take the kid and run. He doesn't go with what kind of dad is that? He's sad. Yeah, but it's like, go with your fucking kid. Well, Jor-El could have gotten in the ship with kal I thought it was a tiny little ship. That was the whole point. I think it was a tiny little time portal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then, okay, so the to- two totally different stories, right? Yeah. So now New Mutants is X-Force. X-Men is number one. Everything's big. They're doing this. Then Liefeld and X-Force number one is like, Strife is actually Cable. What? And then, <laughs> and then it's like, how is the hero the villain? Ooh, and they didn't have a game plan. Yeah. And then uh, all the image guys quit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they all form image. And then they're just left with this thing. And I was, uh, that's Executioner's song. That's ironically when I came back because I had been reading only Batman and Spider Man. 
And then comic stores were exploding all over the place because yeah. Image was around, and guys were telling me, "Oh, X Men's great, X Men's great," and I haven't read X Men. Those guys lied years. to you. <laughs> Those guys didn't have taste. Uh, <laughs> But so the first one I picked up was Executioner's Song, and that was everybody left over trying to make sense of what of what the image guys started and left. Yeah. And then obviously when you read most of those image books, they didn't know what they're doing. Either. Clearly. So then in that story, that story, they go, Strife is the baby that that Cyclops wow, your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> that Cyclops gave up and he went bitter with rage because he didn't have any parents. Yeah. And so he's got this whole revenge. And I think Execution Song is a dumb, fun story because everybody's involved with it for no reason. Yeah. Where, like, Strife has this whole plan where he, like, hires Mr. Sinister to, who then uh, hires the uh, Horseman of the Apocalypse to kidnap Scott and Jean Grey and take them to the moon. Okay. <laughs> where Stripe is waiting in the blue area of the moon. Yeah. Um, then Strife takes his costume off. Have you ever read Executioner's Song? No. Oh, this is it's... so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> so Strife takes his costume off, and he goes to Central Park where there's a benefit concert for mutant rights. While Cyclops and Gene are waiting for him as kidnappies on the moon. No, no. Actually, I'm, uh, I'll pace this out right. It's... Uh, this is while Cyclops and Jean are fighting the Horsemen of the Apocalypse Which and lose. Caliban, um, I think uh, Caliban's a big one. I think like Pestilence, Famine, those guys. Because <laughs> um, it matters. <laughs> so they're like they're like having dinner, and Caliban just starts punching them. Yeah, in and the this very nineties. Caliban is like a big Hulk. Big yeah, Caliban. he's the next Build a Figure, by the way. <laughs> so. Meanwhile, Professor X is giving a speech about mutant rights, and Strife shoots him in the face. (laughs) But Strife's not wearing a suit, so they're like, Cable just shot Professor X in the face. Yeah. And that's six issues of Bishop and Wolverine chasing Cable. Okay. And then Cable's like, no, Strife looks like me. And they're like, okay. And then then in the middle of all this, Apocalypse wakes up and he's like, who took all my guys? <laughs> and then Apocalypse, and it's basically everybody but Magneto is fighting everybody. Where's Magneto? Uh, they didn't use him between that X-Men number one story, that one. That Jim Lee one? Yeah, and then they didn't use him until Fatal Attractions, which was like the next big crossover. Okay. So he's just not in it. Um, so then the end of it, you're like, oh no, Strife was their son. But that- also Cable. Then Cable was his clone. Wait, so Cable is Strife's clone? Wait. <laughs> so, so, uh, so the story was, oh, when Strife got to the future, he was so sick that they were like, we can't save him. We need to clone him because he is the chosen one because somebody's always the fucking chosen one. And then the baby lived anyway. And then they were like, oh, who cares about the clone? And then the clone was like, just got beat up around and became a freedom fighter. That's where we are in 92. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, a lot. <laughs> then, yeah, we're not done. Yeah. So then they give Cable his own series. Yeah. And then Strife is like gone. He's like, no, I, uh, uh, Cable and Strife fall into a time portal at the end of that As story. one does. And then he's like, Strife, Strife died in the time portal. And then they just did a story where they were like, oh, Strife's a liar and he lied to you and you're their baby. And Strife was their clone, and you showed up like all bionic. And they were like, this kid's not going to So I look at his arm and look at his eye. And then they cloned Strife. And it was like, oh, but Cable's really 
the sun. Yeah. The point of all of this is that they were just band-aiding stuff as they went along. There was no plan. When Rob Liefeld introduced Cable. It was clearly not was, this. Like, he wasn't even from the future. Yeah. It was like they just kept throwing stuff in. It wasn't like Louise Simonson, who was still writing the book, was like, was like, hey, we wrote out the baby. The baby's going to come back. Right. Not at that all. That was not the plan. Not yeah. at all. And, and I think we talked before. It's like, when's the time to jump off X-Men? Before all that happens. And that's when I jump back on. <laughs> yeah, because clearly they lost the thread. And I rode that train down through Onslaught. Ugh. And then, and that's the stuff I'm reading now where I'm like, oh, yeah. But, but visually, it's so much fun because in your head, it's all the Fox animated series. Because that's what they yeah. look like. Well, that's why I got the two... 90s omnibuses right because it's like that x-men where they go and they fight magneto is like um that's perfect <laughs> it's it's insane but i love ridiculous 90s jim lee of x-men jumping around because it's basically it's like the cartoon like we had tina and lisa here when we were talking about captain marvel and we were flipping through it and tina's just like this is the show because tina loves 90s x-men cartoon and it's like yeah this is the exact thing they were adapting those issues that's exactly what that show is about and it was on the scenes at the same exact time it wasn't yeah. even like batman the animated series where they did the laughing fish and it was like oh this is a story from the 70s right and we're adapting it in the 90s this is shit that was like you could read the comic and then like two weeks later that cartoon about that comic would come out they did their own age of apocalypse like at the same time yeah it was like it was a different story but they th- but I remember watching that first season and Cable showed up and I'm like holy shit like I just found out there was Cable like yeah. 6 months ago. Yeah, yeah. it's a pretty interesting I will time. say you will probably disagree with me. I like Fatal Attractions cuz it's just it's Magneto fighting everybody. Yeah. And no, I, like, I don't mind that. That one's a fun one. If if you're looking for That's another That's right, Pulsey Animanium out yeah, of Wolverine. He pulls and it's the, like why the f didn't you do this in the 70s? Well, that was another <laughs> uh that's another review I read was that that was a joke Peter David said. Oh. So, uh going back to what I was saying about Bob Layton, who Bob Layton thought he had his own book, but yeah. then it was like, "Nah, you're just uh you're just a sidekick of of the X-Men. Right. Um, that The same thing happened to Peter David. Peter David got X-Factor. So when uh, the original five X-Men go back to X-Men, X-Factor is just left there. And Peter David's like, I'm going to take some like D-level guys. And it's like Havoc and Polaris and Strong Guy. Multiple Man. Multiple Man and Forge. And Wolfsbane. Wolfsbane, who uh, the only reason Wolfsbane was not in X-Force was because Rob Liefeld couldn't draw Wolfsbane. And when he tried to draw Wolfsbane, it, it didn't... It looked like a totally different girl werewolf. And he's like, then it's a different character. She's named Feral. Oh, my God. The only reason Feral is in the book is because that was his failed attempt at drawing Wolfsbane. That's incredible. Yeah. So he started doing this book, which was really interesting. Larry Stroman drew a lot of it. Jay Lee drew a lot of it. It was real moody. And it was very Peter David. And then they just kept pulling him into, like, the big crossover after crossover. And it was basically X-Factor with Havoc and that was a government agency. It was basically... It was, it was Freedom Force. It was Freedom Force, right? Yeah. But with the X-Factor name because that was the title at the time. And in fact, Mystique became a big character in X-Factor later. Like after Peter David left, yeah. they, they brought Mystique onto the team, uh, which is the closest she's ever been to X-Men. Sorry, Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. <laughs> but when they were blocking out Executioner's uh, Fatal Attractions, uh, Peter David was you know salty because he's like, he just wants to write X-Factor 
and Hulk and be left alone. And yeah. He hated crossovers. Yeah. Because he hated being told what, what he was to doing. Do. He would build these long, long stories and then they would say, now nah, we're going to interrupt your story because uh, the mole man is going to eat Sue. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like, he's like, fine. All right. Um, and in fact, I was reading Executioner's Song and like, each issue of his X Factor has five pages that make no goddamn sense. Because it's just... Because they're his subplot. He's like, fuck you. This is my story that's going yeah. on. And I'm like... I don't know who these characters are. I don't know what they're doing. They have nothing to do with the rest of this book. Yeah. But uh, so they're all plotting out fatal attractions. And Peter David, just to fuck with people, went, yeah, Magneto rips all the adamantium out of Wolverine's skeleton. And they went, that's great. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, don't. no, that was the don't do that. It was it was the exact same moment. It was the reason Superman died was. Uh, yeah. They, Jerry Ordway. Because of the wedding. Yeah, they were going to do the wedding, and, and then, then Lois and Clark the... started, and they said, no, let's do the wedding when they get married on the show. They had no crossover, and Jerry Ordway went, eh, let's kill him. Yeah, I remember watching, uh, it was in one of those documentaries about this stuff. It was actually oh, yeah. a really good one, and Louis Simonson said that Jerry Ordway, they used to have those super summits. So every year they'd get together and plot out all the Superman books for the year, and blah, 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 and they had worked on the wedding, they had pushed the wedding, they were ready to go, and then it happened. And then she said that Jerry Ordway used to suggest that every year, as a joke. Every year he's like, alright, this year I got the plan for Superman. And they'd be like, we're gonna kill him, right? And he's like, yeah, let's kill him. <laughs> and it's like, I guess for like years that was like a running gag. And then they finally decided, like, no, no, let's go with it. Because they had nothing else. <laughs> yeah, nothing else in the tank. And it's funny because 25 years later, people still point to that story. As much of a stunt as it was. Yeah, I, I think it's like, um, it's everything good and bad about the comics, like, boiled down to one event. It's like an mm. interesting thing to do with a character that they drew out too long and that zero ramifications. Yeah, it was you know? like, well, it was like the, um, that was the way to do it well. Because it was like, it kept taking these turns and it went on for a year because they were like, okay, now it's about these four Supermen. Oh, wait, one of them's evil. Oh, yeah. wait, now we bring him back. Now they have to fight the guy. But the whole story works. I mean, Nightfall's like that too. Night yeah. The Nightfall goes on even longer where it's like, Nightfall is, is great, but there's just too much of Azrael being Batman in it. Like, like Bane breaking his back. Batman has to fight everybody from Arkham Asylum. Then Bane breaks his back. Yeah. Then this new guy comes comes in, goes nuts. Bruce Wayne comes back and beats him. It's a great story. The only problem is the middle section. It was selling. It was supposed to be three months. And DC was like, no, keep going, keep going. Yeah. And they did nine months of this unlikable Batman. Right. And um, it's like, yeah, that's the. So that was stretching it stretching out. Stretching this stuff too thin. And then is what, the problem. what breaks it is the Clone Saga. Yeah. The Spider Man Clone Saga is just, just like two and a half years, years and it just snaps and sales, Spider Man sales plummet. Yeah. Well, it's nice that, like, it's, you see with the death of Superman, it's like we got some lasting things from it that yeah. a lot it's changed, but they've kept on like how jordan went bananas murdered a bunch of folks and then we got the greatest green lantern story of yeah. all time out of it well superboy stuck around steel, steel stuck around the cyborg superman has come back it's yeah, like he's been a villain for yeah a long time. it's like a gave doomsday, doomsday is one of his superman's a level uh right villains he's like he a pretty... guy that he comes back and it's like oh fuck here's the guy that killed superman and that's the thing about dc in the 90s i know you love to make fun of the 90s but uh dc kept their head on straight they did and i i always say you know the 90s are a mess like early 90s i'm a marvel guy because i'm reading like avengers when black knight's got a power sword they all have leather jackets <laughs> they have leather jackets and i love it but um uh, the later half of the decade i'm reading green lantern monthly the uh kyle rayner green lantern and yeah. that stuff's awesome yeah it's fun. you know it's it's like ron mars has been on the show we talk yeah and if you want to go back we talk we a talk lot about, about kyle rayner yeah and it's like that was a character that I really liked, 
and I was like having a blast because it was like that felt like my Green Lantern. You mm-hmm. know, it's like this is the Green Lantern for like my generation. And um, it was basically like they made him like Peter Parker. He was yeah. just like this down and out like loser. And DC didn't have one. Yeah. And Wally it was really West cool. Was not that guy. And that was a really good point. We've talked about this, I think, before. But this idea and me and Dave used to talk about this all the time is that at this point, DC had this awesome generational thing going on mm-hmm. where Green Lantern and Wally West or Kyle Rayner and Wally West were like the second generation or I'm sorry, the third generation of those characters. And they were coming up through like the Titans, Green Lantern they put on the Titans for a while with Donna Troy, and then they had a relationship, and the Green Lantern graduated to the Justice League, and they were all giving him crap because he wasn't Hal Jordan. It's like they were doing a lot of cool stuff with like the second, third generation of superheroes in those comics that DC's really like lost the thread of in like the last like well, ten years. I think the problem there was that was also the time when Nightwing got his own book. Yeah. So it was uh all the sidekicks grew up to be heroes, which I thought was great. And I and I think the problem with it and um you know, say what you want about whatever side of the fence you fall on, but I think the big mistake they did was they was like, no, we got to bring Barry Allen back. We got to bring Hal Jordan back. Yeah. And then these guys become superfluous. We, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, how comics have this arc where uh, every character does this story where the hero says, I'm going to stop being the hero. And maybe they die or maybe they get pissed off or they get turned into a villain or they get hurt. Yeah. But there's always a story where they're like, that's it. I'm not this hero anymore. And then a different character says, well, I'll be that hero. Yeah. And they put on that costume and then they're that hero for a while. And then at the end, they then they, at the end they go, well, now the original hero comes back. That's what Nightfall is. I just described that. Yeah. Uh, Death of Superman is like that where four guys are one guy, which was the, the twist on it. Right. But every single hero. Nomad, War Machine, Thunderstrike. Mm-hmm. There's all these secondary characters that yeah, step ben, in. Yeah. Ben Riley. Yeah. There's X-23. Right. That there's always old man Logan is even that um, all of the A-list heroes have been replaced by a new version of that. But then what always ends up happening is then the original hero comes back. The new hero has some fans. So now you have two versions of this guy running around. Right. And almost every A-list hero has two versions of himself. Yeah. And it's there's two. They're Hawkeyes. not unique. Yeah. You know, there's two of even B and C list heroes because it's like. There is this idea of wanting to keep around, like Iron Patriot. There's been two or three Iron Patriots already. Yeah. Because Dark Avengers did so well, and they've done multiple versions of Dark Avengers. After Bendis left, they did like two or three other versions of it where it's like, here's a dark. We've had two Dark Bullseyes. We had, uh, I'm sorry, two Dark Hawkeyes. We had Punish, or I'm sorry, Bullseye was Hawkeye. And then. Uh, uh, um, Clint Barton's brother was a was a dark Hawkeye in one of these books. And it was like there were two different dark Spider-Mans, Matt Gargan as Venom, and then like the Spider-Man with like six arms that wasn't Doppelganger. It was like this completely other character. You know, it's like two different people were Ms. Marvel. There have been five Captain Americas. Yeah. And that's crazy. Like Winter Soldier, U.S. Agent, Jack Monroe. Right. Who were all those guys in the 50s that were Captain America that they had a yeah. retcon? Yeah, Kyle Baker did one about like an African American Captain America. Yeah, the first Captain America, Zia yeah. Bradley or whatever. Yeah, and that's always a problem. Deadpool makes fun of it because there's like fifty Deadpools running around. There's like Lady Deadpool and Headpool and Dogpool and Squirrelpool. Yeah, I was just reading one of the Jerry Dugan tree paperbacks where it's like he made uh, 
all the like really crappy mercenary guys like Slapstick and Madcap. And he dressed and, them up as himself. Yeah, and Solo. Yeah. Stingray. Stingray, yeah. And he, they were all- I diff- like Stingray. <laughs> and then there were all different colors of Deadpool because yeah. they were getting confused. And Target released like a five pack of different color Deadpool figures. Oh my God. So they they all end up doing it. Um, you know, if if you haven't been replaced, you're not an A-lister. Right. You know, um, we've had like, two versions of the original X-Men because they were like the teenagers come back in time and yeah. come up and then Beast is talking to Beast yeah. and Iceman's talking to Iceman and one of them is gay I guess but they, the other one isn't. I guess they, well they did two things. They finally got rid of all those kids. They sent them back. Yeah. And then uh, Iceman I think did come out. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. And I'm the, cool with that. The regular Iceman, like the right. the main Iceman. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Because that's what we need is two fucking Icemen running around. Yeah. So, well, I've, I've been having this problem lately. So I joined Comixology Unlimited, which is $5 a month. And man, it is paying for itself. Yeah. Because I'm reading 15 trade paperbacks a month. Um, I'm reading a lot of stuff that I'm just curious about the continuity or about the creative team. And then I read it and I go, yeah, that wasn't that great. Yeah. Um, but, but I read it like uh, when Into Spider-Verse came out, I read... A lot of Miles and Spider Gwen and Scarlet Spider and 2099 and all these comics that I'm like, now I'm good with Amazing and I don't want to fill up a long box of this right. stuff. So I decided to do it with X-Men because I'm reading 90s X-Men and I'm like, well, I'm behind on X-Men. So what's going on now? And Like currently? Yeah, I yeah. couldn't figure I couldn't figure out what to read. I think right now, if I'm not mistaken, all in the X-Men books... And again, I don't know that this is true, but this is my summarizing from what I've seen. I think every mutant, all the X-Men are in an alternate universe and they're all gone. And it's like this, like, um, I don't know what they're calling it, but it's basically like a mutant utopia. And they've kind of moved a mutopia. bunch. Yeah. Why have they never said mutopia? They have done a mutopia. Because they did utopia. They did a mutopia story. Did they do mutopia? In the early 2000s. Yeah, I remember Utopia. Yeah, they did Mutopia too. Well, the uh, that's another problem. We've talked about how they keep relaunching titles, and it's so hard to go back and know where you are. Yeah, and they just they just keep splintering those titles over and over again. The last X Men comics I read were Blue and Gold number ones, and I didn't like them, and yeah. I didn't come back. And then I was like, okay, well maybe I'll read those runs because they're on Unlimited. And then I'm like, well, there's blue and gold. Oh, wait, but there's Uncanny X-Men, which is like Psylocke, Sabretooth, and Magneto, and like Monet from Generation X. And I'm yeah. like, I am like, I can't even tell. Wait, is this going on at the same time as yep. blue and gold? And then they put on X-Men Red at the same time. Yeah, and X-Men then they Red, canceled all Gray. those titles. Right. The last I read, the last I caught up was the end of the Bendis run, which I didn't like. And then I was like, okay, well, let's go from Bendis to this blue and gold. It doesn't. No. There was like another volume of all new X-Men. They changed their costumes seven times. Yeah. And they gave all them uh, jacked up powers and stuff. Like oh, Angel yeah. Angel had fire wings. Yeah. And like they, uh, they've done to X-Men what DC's been doing is they're, they're, they can't decide on any specific direction to take the book in long term. So they just keep changing direction every year, every right. two years. Well, the and last it's like you thing. You can't really. I don't know what the solution is. Here's what the solution is. The solution is like get a good creative team to put on the book that has a vision for what to do with the X-Men that isn't bananas crazy. Because now X-Men's been rebooted again 
and it's a Cyclops leading a team, and they're half of them are in their '90s costumes. Yeah, they brought Cyclops back because they killed Cy- they killed Cyclops off like after Secret Wars. I'm reading that trade because I don't know how he died. Yeah, and uh, old then Logan was just they killed Lo- they killed Wolverine. They had a Death of Wolverine series. Right. And then they brought old man Logan back from time. So you still had Wolverine. But, but he's old. Yeah. And then they just did this crossover called Resurrection, which um, I was talking to Danny Romero. That was supposed to clean up the continuity. They sent the original X-Men back. They brought Cyclops back to life. But then they killed Cable. Yeah. And it's like, wait. Well, because they're bringing back a young Cable. So there's a Cable coming back. And maybe it's in this big event that I can't get my head around. And he's like a young Cable, like, not old and grizzled. It's like, here's what Cable was like in his 20s or something. And But that's X... Number one, that's X-Men. They yeah. They created him in Age of Apocalypse. Number two, you just put Cable in a movie. Yeah. And you're making <laughs> yeah. him... Yeah. Jo- they did a lot of work to make Josh Brolin look like old grizzled Cable. Yeah. And now the comics are... This is like when they had young, cool, thin Lobo in the New 52. Yeah, and people hated it. It lasted And I think so much months. that they had the original Lobo come and kill that Lobo. Yes. Like, it was um, the first New 52 thing they had to write. It's like Teen Tony. It's like, why are Teen we making Tony, Tony Stark yeah. a teenager? <laughs> Just figure out how to write Howard Hughes' Iron Man. And this is why I don't uh, like alternate reality stories. I'm like, just... Do the main guy. I get well, it's hard, I, I but wanna, it's doable. But I want to feel that every story mattered. So yeah. I want to feel that every story really happened to this character and that they have changed in some way. I mean, it's comics, so they don't change very much. But I right. want to feel that they're carrying the baggage of every one of these stories. And when you keep giving me different versions of that character, whether it's the sidekick growing up, as we said, or a new guy coming in, or just an alternate version where Aunt May got bitten by a spider. Yeah. Um, I'm like, well, it doesn't count. Because at the end of this, that goes away, and we still have Peter Parker as a spider. Although, they try to keep him around as long as possible. Like... Then they have Spider Girl with May Parker and Alter Loud. They have Renew Your Vows. They have yeah. all of this stuff. The spinoff stuff. It's I, like they get to the, have their cake and eat it too. It's like we can do all the bullshit alternate universe. Like Old Man Logan was just supposed to be. Here's an alternate universe for Wolverine, and it does so well. They're like, all right, let's grab the old man Wolverine and put him in the current continuity so we have that character. You know, here's Miles Morales, this half black, half Hispanic Spider-Man. It sells really well. We cancel all the other Ultimate books because they're garbage, but we like this character and it sells well. So bring him in so we have a young Spider-Man again. Yeah, we, you know? have, we have a Zorn and a Magneto. Yeah. Which, that, which good luck trying I, to untangle that. Well, I'll never weave. forgive that because the whole end of Grant Morrison's run, which was great, was that Zorn didn't exist and it was Magneto all along manipulating everybody. Yeah. But then people liked that character design. So six months so later, like, they were like, oh. The Zorn's well, brother pretending to be Zorn, <laughs> pretending yeah. to be Magneto. They're like, <laughs> Magneto saw this guy walking around Zorn and be like, oh, I'll be that guy. Like, Magneto has no fucking imagination. Right. I mean, he keeps sticking with that helmet. The greatest thing in the world. This week. So I mentioned Hoopla um, a couple weeks ago. It's a library app. Uh, if, you, if you have a library card, you can sign into the app and put your library card in, and then it lets you rent things for free on your phone or your tablet. So uh, there's a lot of books. There's a lot of comics. Yeah. A lot of comics. So um, like I was saying about Comicsology Unlimited, I pay $5 a month for that. You don't even have to pay for that. You just use your library card, which for now is free. Yeah. With the government, yeah. maybe another three weeks um, because it's something that helps people. Yeah. <laughs> Cut those programs. Cut them. Yeah. Um, 
but you can rent all these books. So the first thing I got was a brand new book about the kids in the hall called One Dumb Guy. Okay. Um, and the kids in the hall is a huge cult thing. First of all, it's written by Paul Myers, who is Mike Myers' brother. Oh. Um, and Mike Myers has this long history with kids in the hall. He was almost in kids of the hall a few times. They were all coming up in Canada at the same time and they were all good friends. And about the time that, um, the kids in the hall show started, uh, with Lauren Michaels produced Lauren Michaels also then picked Mike Myers for Saturday night live. Yeah. So they have these parallel tracks. So Mike Myers, brother, Paul goes way back with them, but. Kids in the Hall, I'm realizing now, is very much a Gen X thing. Uh, have you seen much of it? Uh, I may not. I've seen a very little bit. I think stuff you've showed me, but I haven't never seen it. Yeah, and it's a shame because it, it's one of the greatest sketch shows that it's ever been made. I mean, it's up there with Key and Peele and Mr. Show and Monty Python. Uh, and it was enormous to comedy fans, and it's kind of vanished. Netflix had it for a long time, and then they just dropped it, yeah. which they which they do. But nobody else has it. I think you can buy it on Amazon. You cannot buy it on iTunes, mm-hmm. which is very rare. They made one movie called Brain Candy, which bombed. You cannot buy. Yeah. There's like an out-of-print DVD of it. That's weird. I found it on YouTube because somebody uploaded their DVD. Right, and it's like they don't care enough to block it off YouTube because it's like they're not selling it anywhere. Yeah, they had a reunion show 10 years ago called Death Comes to Town, which you also can't find anywhere. I think you can... It's the only show I've seen that you could buy on Amazon Prime and not on iTunes. And I've kept my DVDs. Uh, Kids in the Hall was a very, very important show to me. Uh, when I was in high school, Rolling Stone came out with an article that said, these guys are the new Monty Python. And I was a huge Monty Python nerd in high school. And I was like, okay, well then I'm going to watch this. And I watched the first hour special on HBO and fell in love with it. And I just stayed with it. And uh, my friends were really into it. Howie Weingarten has been on this show and I... Uh, it became like half of our inside jokes were just quotes. The way people quote Borat or yeah. Anchorman, we would quote kids in the hall to each yeah. other. And most people didn't know what we were talking about. But in the mid-90s, uh, it ran from 89 to 94, and then Comedy Central re-ran the shit out of it. Like, they ran it the way com- with the way Cartoon Network runs Teen Titans Go. Yeah. It was on all the time, all the time. And my uh, when they reunited in 2000... I asked Howie if he wanted to go see them and he didn't want to pay for tickets and I got annoyed because uh, I really wanted to see them and I didn't want to go by myself and then I went to a house party and I met a girl there and we were talking about kids in the hall and she said, I'll go and I married that girl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so our first date was seeing kids in the hall live and it's it's an amazing show. If you There's a bunch of sketches on YouTube. If you put kids in the hall on YouTube, you'll see 30, 40, 50 sketches. It's like yeah. SCTV in that way where it's this amazingly influential show that's hard to find. It's hard to find SCTV these days. Uh, but it, it was dark, and it was uh, it was the first show to really explore sexuality as a spectrum, because Scott Thompson was one of the first openly gay sketch comedians. Yeah. And they all dressed in drag and uh, didn't do it for a cheap laugh. Um, but the book goes really into detail, and I learned so much about how they started. And how they started doing improv in Canada and how they started to get too big for Canada and figured out where to go next and how long it took to get that show on. Apparently, Lorne Michaels saw them early and hired Mark McKinney, who's now on Superstore, and Bruce McCullough, who's a director. He hired them as writers on SNL and nobody else. But on their weeks off, they would fly back and they would still do kids in the hall shows because they didn't want to break up. And Lorne Michaels realized... 
I can't break these guys up. This is not a group where I can go, okay, you guys are going to be cast members and you guys are not. It's like the dynamic works. The dynamic work like Python and he's like, I'll give you a show. And it was this really cheap show that like HBO gave him a little money and the CBC gave him a little money. Um, but it's one of those shows like Mr. Show. If you saw it and got into it, it changed your whole view of comedy. And almost everything I wrote in comedy goes back to that. Yeah. And it follows them all the way up through like Dave Foley on making Bugs Life and um, Mark McKinney on Superstore and and where they are now and the, the tours they've done. So it's one of the best books I've read about modern comedy. Seth Meyers writes the introduction and he writes this really, really funny story about how when he was a kid, he was hired as an intern for Comedy Central and his job was to catalog the tapes for reruns. And while he was going through the tapes, he discovered Kids in the Hall and he had never seen it before. And he stopped doing his work and he would go in and watch Kids in the Hall all day and they fired him. Oh, wow. And he became Seth Meyers. So, yeah. So this was a guy that was, you probably should have kept at a comedy company. Right. But Kids in the Hall was so good. That's great. So um, if if you know Kids in the Hall, definitely read this book. If you don't, just go to YouTube. That's some of the funniest stuff I have ever seen and probably will ever see yeah um i we might have mentioned this before but i don't know why probably because i found a chunk of them uh they did they i'm trying to think when this would have been this was uh after um civil war but before dark rain marvel did a mighty avengers book that bendis started and it was supposed to run concurrently with new avengers so there was like the shield sanctioned legal avengers and then like the illegal Luke Cage Avengers. I was like, Ms. Marvel was running that team? Yeah, like okay. Tony Stark, Ms. Marvel, like Wonder Man was back on it. And I remember when this book came out, I was like, cool, two Avengers books. And then I got very frustrated because it was like Bendis out of gas, you know? And it was kind of just like, what are you doing? He tried to bring like thought balloons back. Every character had all these like thought balloons, like insane stuff like what they were thinking and then sometimes they'd think of thing and then say the thing and like Ares kept thinking how he was just gonna sleep with all the women on the team and it was a stop balloon it's like just completely out there but um after secret invasion they wanted to keep the book going but bendis either wasn't interested in writing it or they needed to change directions or whatever so they put dan slot on the book and dan slot was picking up a lot of his not a lot, but some of his stuff from Avengers Initiative, which he was also writing at the time. And then he started doing Mighty Avengers and then started using a classic Avengers. Like he put Hercules back on the team. He brought like Vision and Stature and from like Young Avengers. He put Quicksilver on the team. He had Scarlet Witch for a while after House of M, but it was really Loki. And he was just doing really interesting stuff that you kind of see go for a couple years. It goes through dark rain and then ends with siege. That's when the book ends, but you kind of got this like small opening where Avengers was going to go for a bit. And then you kind of just saw like the window get closed before they could get there. Like he made Hank Pym, the scientist Supreme. And he did all this stuff where they, he was laying the groundwork for how to bring, uh, the wasp back. And then, it never happened. Like he never got to get there because I think the book got canceled. And then like Bendis ended up bringing Wasp back in an entirely different way right. in one of his books before he left Avengers for good. And it was just kind of like, it was, it's just like, there's a lot of this stuff where you kind of in comics, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't pan out. And there's a lot of stuff where it's like, you're going down this road and then the road just ends. 
And this is one of those books where you can kind of see he was trying to do something that he didn't get to do because the book got canceled or the sales weren't good enough or whatever. But some of the stories were like really interesting. He was doing just like, it was like, here's a group of Avengers that's running around doing the stuff the Avengers are supposed to do instead of like being the dark Avengers or fighting the hood every week, which was all Bendis ever did for like the last four or five years of his run. I hated the hood. Yeah. It's a good concept of like, here's a super powered guy that's going to do like what the Kingpin did. And he's going to run a gang of like, Superpowered, the D-list hero villains, but it didn't do anything. It never went anywhere. You know, everybody's done that story of like, oh, all the supervillains get together and have their community, right? It's like even Nick Spencer's doing that with uh, Superior Foes. It's like it's not a new idea. Yeah, and there's it's like you have to do that's that's a concept. You have to go a little further with it. And Bendis never really made anything of it, which was always really frustrating. You always got the sense the Hood was going to be this big villain, and then he never really did anything. Uh, they made a Marvel Legend and didn't release it. Yeah, because it's like no one's using the character now. Yeah. And, but I do, I kind of like, I don't know if I like, I wouldn't, I don't know that I'd recommend it. This isn't like a great run of Avengers. It's like, it's very like, uh, it's like C, you know, I'd give it a C, but it was interesting to see where it could have gone. And then seeing how Dan Slott had this big run on Spider-Man, it makes you think like, how much of material would this guy have had if they kind of took the reins off and said like, yeah, write your own group of Avengers for, you know, 50 issues, 60 issues or something and kind of see where it can go. Um, so it's like a missed opportunity type situation, perhaps. Yeah. Well, if you'd like to tell us how you would write Avengers, uh, there are ways to get in touch with us. You can follow me at Not On My Book on Twitter and Instagram. That is the official Caffeinated Comics social networking feed. You can also go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Caffeinated Comics, where we post most of the news, like James Gunn getting rehired to Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Remember we were going to talk about we that never and we mentioned. never got to? There's always the next week. <laughs> yeah. And Stephen, how do you follow the show? You can find the show uh, on Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes, where I think most people find all their podcasts, and we're there too. And you? Oh, and you can find me on Instagram at the Brave Butter Pecan. And we'll talk to you next week.